All right, Proverbs chapter number 30, verse 21. You'll remember earlier in this chapter I said that during the course of this chapter there are six sections made up of four different, uh, different statements. And uh, each of those six sections deals with a particular topic and the four things in that group relate to that topic. And tonight, in this section, verse 21, 22, and 23, and that's as far as I plan on going tonight, and we, so we, you might get through earlier than usual, but I don't want to get into the next section because I for sure don't have time to go through it, and I don't want to just get started in it. And so, Lord willing, next week we'll talk about four things that are small and weak but wise. Uh, this used to be one of my favorite vacation Bible school lessons to teach, and it really relates good to children, and uh, we'll talk about that next week. But tonight, we're going to look at these three verses, beginning in verse number 21, and it has to do with four things that are intolerable. Let me say something about that. I don't need to tell you that life is difficult for everyone. Every single person here, you know, has some kind of a struggle that you're going through or you're getting ready to go through or you just came out of it. But life is difficult and it's difficult for different reasons. And, uh, you know, there, there's most of these things are, you know, common to man. You know, if, if we're not troubled by it today, well, we will be some other day. And if it doesn't bother us now, well, we know somebody that's going through that particular problem. So it's common demand. But there are other things that are not necessarily common to everyone. I'm talking about things that we find offensive or frustrating, things that are hard to tolerate. I can't help but think about Psalm 73 and that great psalm there where the psalmist is talking about when he saw the prosperity of the wicked, he couldn't figure it out. He said, those, you know, uh, th that are living godly, they have all kinds of trouble, and the wicked, they're the ones that prosper. It, it just seems like the, it's an upside-down world, and he's complaining to God about that. And a lot of times, I think, you know, we must feel the same way. So tonight, we're going to look at four things that are intolerable. Now, if we've learned anything so far from the book of Proverbs, it's this, and that is that, that wisdom's work is to teach us how to please God. That's what it's all about. If we're walking wisely, we're walking in a way that is pleasing in God's sight. But the problem is, not everybody is wise, and that's going to make life difficult for somebody else. And uh, we see examples of that all of the time. You know, we, uh, whether it's, you know, the politicians or whoever it is, we see people doing things that are absolutely nonsensical and we can't, you know, we're just in a state of shock. How in the world could you think that, do that, believe that? And uh, those things are irritating and, uh, you know, in our mind, sometimes intolerable. So let's look at this tonight, beginning in verse number 21. This is, uh, serves as the introduction to the four thoughts. For three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear. That word disquieted is uh, an interesting word. It means to quiver. 
especially in regards to violent emotion like like anger or or fear. And in this case, it has to do with things that are intolerable, things, you know, they're unseemly, they're unsuitable, and uh, it, it creates disruptions, you know, between us and other people. It, it destroys peace, it destroys our pleasure, it, it just throws life in a turmoil, and here we are in our frustration, uh, you know, like the old saying, madder than an old wet hen, and and that's the way we feel a lot of times to the point I had a good friend I grew up with and uh, he was uh, he was kind of a little scrawny kid and what have you but he was very emotional and any anytime something was going down we was about to get in a fight or there was a threat of a fight or something like that Ronnie would just start he'd just start shaking violently all over and just couldn't control himself and, and, and a lot of times, you know, it might not be to that extent with us, but there are things that happen to us, things that we encounter that we have a tough time dealing with. And uh, for some people, it might be one thing. For other people, it might be something else. But we all have something that just really irritates us. It might be, you know, a certain kind of a driver out on the highway or or a clerk in a store or whatever it is so here we go verse 22 is the first thing that he mentions he says for a servant for a servant when he reigneth now we all know that generally speaking the servant is out of place if he's trying to if he's trying to rule if he's trying to run things remember he's the servant he doesn't have any authority he is not in charge and it's his job to take orders, not give orders. And even if somehow he is promoted to a position, let's say, of leadership, it's all in vain unless he's qualified to do the job. And, uh, and, and you take an unqualified person, put them in a position of power, it's going to lead to nothing but trouble. A good example of that is over in the book of Esther, and I think about Haman, and you'll remember because of his hatred for the Jews, he created actually a threat to the Jews, wanted them all put to death, passed a law that they'd be put to death, and it was only through the intervention of Esther that that was stopped. But you'll remember that Haman is the guy that built the gallows to hang Mordecai on, uh, here was a fellow that was appointed to a position of authority that had had no right whatsoever in being in that position. And so I think this is what it's talking about. This is something that is just, you know, in our mind, it's intolerable to think that a servant is going to try to run the show or that a servant who has not the ability to do the job in some way, you know, gets in that position. Now, that's not to say that a servant shouldn't ever become a ruler. Jo- you know, Joseph proved that, you know, that in some instances that's well and good. But keep in mind, it was not because he sought that position. You know, Joseph never said, you know, that his great aspiration was to become a, a ruler. I want to rule over people. You know, I want, I want authority. I want to be able to tell people what to do. Let me tell you, that is ruined more people than just about anything. Somebody that's got that, you know, that that prideful drive that they want to be in charge, they want to tell others what to do. 
And uh, it, it's something that is intolerable to, to most people. Joseph, you know, through the divine providence of God, became a ruler, but it's not something that he was looking for. It's just what God had prepared him for. When he got there in that position, he was more than well qualified to do the job, and that's what makes all the difference in the world. So that's the first thing, a servant when he reigneth. Secondly, verse 22 and a fool when he is filled with meat. Now, let me say this doesn't have anything to do whatsoever with, you know, a person being well fed. That's not the point here. The point is that when a fool prospers, and, and as you know, sometimes the Bible talks about prosperity by using the term fat. And talk about, you know, the, 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 their fatness and what have you. And it has nothing to do with their weight. It has to do with their prosperity. And here it's talking about a fool who prospers. And uh, naturally, you know, uh, he's going to become proud. He's liable to be arrogant and selfish, troublesome, unbearable. Uh, you know, the most difficult people in the world to deal with are those that 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 are just absolute fools, and yet by hook or crook or some way or another, they get in a position of leadership, and especially prosperity. Boy, if they you know if they prosper, it's amazing how many people have run a company into the ground because it was inherited, passed down from a father or a father-in-law to some kid that was a fool, had no idea how to run the business, and so he run it in the ground. And uh, uh, he's just saying, you know, that prosperity for a fool is something intolerable. It's something that you know, most people just can't can't stand because it's obvious what's going to happen, what the bottom line is. And prosperity has probably ruined more people than poverty ever thought about ruining. And a lot of people, you know, they're, uh, you know, they just really do good until all of a sudden, you know, they got a little jingle in their pockets and, and you know, they're, they're wealthy and they get a promotion in the community and stuff like that. And all of a sudden they become a tear to those that they rule over, those that they control. And he says, a fool when he is filled with meat is intolerable. Now verse 23, for an odious woman when she is married, that word odious means disgusting or offensive. And uh, whenever we talk about a bad marriage, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that you understand that the, either the woman or the man can be the guilty party. So we're not picking on women, but this is what this verse deals with here, a disgusting, offensive woman. And uh, nothing in the world is more miserable for the man or the woman than a, than a bad marriage. And that's why, you know, uh, if a man marries a woman like the one described here, uh, he, he just introducing himself to a life of misery. Marriage is intended to be a blessing rather than a burden or rather than a curse. You know, that's the way God designed it to be. You know, they, they two shall be one. And, and, of course, again and again, it's emphasized in the Bible that union between the husband and the wife, you know, two are better than one. And God knew that 
you know, it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he created for him a helpmate. And so it's intended to be a blessing, but it becomes a curse whenever you marry the wrong person and, and you, you're headed for trouble when that happens. That's one of the worst mistakes that young people can make. Getting married, you know, to the wrong person, sometimes with the thought, well, yeah, I know, I, I, I know he's not, he, He's not what he ought to be. Yeah, I know he's got these faults, but but I think given time, I'll be able to change him. Well, I really doubt that. You know, you're probably seeing him at the best you will ever see him, and it's all downhill. And and, and yet, for all of the all of the preaching, all of the teaching, all of the parental instruction, still again and again and again, we find young people marrying the wrong person and it affects them negatively for the rest of their life. And so uh, it's it's better to consider the faults of the person that you're thinking about marrying and, you know, don't try to fix it later and uh, just might not be the right person for you. I run across the statement, so a little bit lengthy, and but it's so good I wanted to take time to read it, but... It's what one writer said about an odious woman, and, and he said, quote, Odious means deserving of hatred, hateful, causing or exciting hatred or repugnance and disagreeable, offensive, repulsive, exciting odium. Got it? This hateful creature is a woman that has forsaken her creator, his wise design for her sex, and his commandments for her role in marriage. Her contrariness is confusion itself. She always has an opinion, whether asked for it or not. She will interrupt any conversation, no matter how important, to offer her two cents or to correct irreverent facts. She objects to anything suggested or planned unless she is at the center of it. She stinks. You know, I read that, and the first thought that came to my mind was this. I wonder if he's speaking from experience. I just wonder if he's married to someone like that. How does he know all of that, you know? So he goes on to say this. He says, you can eliminate body odor with a bath or cover it with perfume, but a man cannot hide his odious wife in public, for she cannot stop her irritating ways, her speech, body language, facial expression, constant opinions, and many other faults make it obvious to all that there goes a man that made a fatal mistake. Wow. Now, <laughs> I, I don't know if his wife ever read his book or not. She might not know that's in there, but it is. And, and you know, and, and as, you know, as humorous it is to us on the outside looking in at the situation, boy, it's really not funny at all. You know, I I, I remember years ago, Bev and I, we had some real close friends, and uh, oh, this is back before I was saved, even. And so we'd go over there and play cards with them, and just really enjoyed their company and what have you, and. Uh, Mary had the bad habit of interrupting anyone and everyone, but especially her husband, Bob. Every time Bob started to say something, it didn't make any difference what the subject was. If he started to say something, she just jumped right in and took it over. And, and, 
you know, Bev and I look at each other and talk about it later and think about how sorry we feel for Bob. Poor Bob. He'd just kind of hang his head and she would just go on and on and on and on. Well, like I said, this can work both ways. I could give you some example of men that are offensive like that. And I'm sure if I couldn't, you women could. You can probably think of somebody. But the whole point of it is, it's just so important that that young couples, you know, measure, uh, marry the right person. And, uh, you know, it's you don't have to marry somebody perfect because otherwise you'd never get married, you see. And so whoever you marry is going to be imperfect. But boy, if you'll think that through ahead of time, it'll save you a lifetime of regret. And, and by the way, all of that wouldn't be so bad, but you know, whenever in, in, the end result is this, that ultimately there are going to be some children have to suffer as a result of the bad relationship. And, and it breaks my heart, but over the years, I can't tell you how many times I've warned young ladies and I've warned young men, you better not, you better not, uh, you better not marry that person. You, you better not, I, that you're headed for trouble and they go ahead and do it anyway. And I'm not a prophet, but you know, you, you can just, you can just look at the situation and tell this is going to, this is going to lead to trouble. And it always does. And then I think of those poor kids and how they get hurt. Well, we've got one more and, uh, and we'll wrap it up tonight. I, I sort of apologize for getting through so early, but I know I can't get through this other section the way I want to, and so I'd like to reserve that for another time. Verse 23, here's the fourth thing that is intolerable. And the handmaid that is heir to her mistress. Now, it's not normal for the maid to become an heir. And that's not saying it can't happen. But it's not normal. And usually whenever it happens, it's because, you know, she has in some way schemed herself into that position. Uh, and ultimately brought trouble into the family. Immediately I think about Sarah and Hagar. Oh, we look at that story and scratch our head and wonder how in the world can someone, a great woman of faith like Sarah... How can she, how can, how can she be so dumb as to do what she did? And you all know the story and we'll not go through it, but I, I, I mean, can you imagine coming up with a plan like that? And, uh, so here, Abraham, I, you know, I, he was certainly at fault too. That's not the, it's not to say he wasn't at fault at all. In fact, he's the leader. He ought to stepped up and took control of the situation and he didn't. But but that ought to serve as a warning, I think, to everyone. And so he's saying something that is intolerable to see a handmaid that is the heir to her mistress. It shouldn't be that way because normally it would be the children, uh, you know, rather than the maid. So what in the world does all of this mean? When we look at all four of these things here, what's the lesson? What What is the point of it? And I think it's this, that there is a proper order to things, a proper order to things, and when things get out of order, it's going to create 
problems. In other words, if we reverse God's order, we, we create needless problems and put ourselves in danger. And you can apply that principle to, you know, to so many different areas of life. The point is that we, when we refuse to listen to God, uh, we're, we're going to ultimately get hurt as a result of that. You know, there are, there are women that absolutely despise the thought of what the Bible teaches about the husband being the head of the home. You know, they, they, they accuse us preachers of, of being prejudiced and so on and so forth. And, and you know, it, it seems like an indication to them that we think they're dumber than the husband. That's not the case at all. Because a lot of times, you know, I, I, in many instances, the wife is the more intelligent of the two. So it has nothing to do with who is the most intelligent or the most educated or even who is the best moral person. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that somebody's got to be in charge and God knew there had to be order in the home. And so God placed the man in that position of order. When we get that out of order, like a lot of people in America today has because of the women's lib movement and what have you. And, and um, we, wonder, we wonder why our society disintegrates before our very eyes. We send our kids off to college and wonder how in the world did they come back with all of these weirdo ideas. It's because of some liberal person there in the college that pounded that in their minds, you see. So the whole point is, if we, and, and this is, I'm not just talking about marriage now. I'm not talking about just authority in the home. I'm talking about in everything that we do, there is a proper order to do things in. And no life is in order unless we yield ourselves to God's authority. If we don't do that, it's like driving on the wrong side of the road. You might seem to make it okay for a little while, but eventually if you stay on the wrong side of the road, there's going to be a crash and somebody's going to get hurt. And, and, and that's what God wants us to avoid. You know, so many people resent God's laws. It says thou shall not do this and thou shall not do that. And they resent that. And all God is saying, look, I don't want you to hurt yourself because sin has its own built in punishment. And so that over in Romans chapter 1, it's a perfect picture of that. In order to punish people, what did God do? He just quit dealing with them about the sin. He let sin run its course. He let them experience the, you know, the, the final product of their rebellion against Him. And God doesn't want that for any of us. I'm so glad that we have a God that is more concerned about us than we are about ourselves. And doing things the right way is always going to bring the best results. Well, we're going to stop there tonight, as I said. And we uh, uh, maybe a prayer request, somebody for.